This is the Build Our Future podcast. We shape our buildings, and afterwards our buildings shape us. A window into the past, present, and future of the construction industry. There's still a lot of unlocked doors. Clarity with design, craftsmanship with the build. There's still a lot to find out and do and invent. Collaboration for our future. You know, I don't think it's the end of the invention. The Build Our Future podcast with Raul Faria. Let's build. Begins now. Glad you joined us for our second episode. On our first, we heard from John Mullenhauer, the president and CEO of the Toronto Construction Association, and we touched on the lack of skilled trades in the industry. Today, we got Sean Tickner. He is the founder of Big Skills Tiny Homes based in California. They are a not-for-profit organization that has undertaken what may seem like the daunting task of teaching some of these trade skills to high school students with the hopes of maybe sparking an interest in them. That's right. Yeah. Thank you, Raul, for having me. It's a total pleasure to be on today. Sean, tell me now, high school students, not-for-profit, where did this idea come from? You know, it just kind of it just popped into my head as I'm a father and I'm a structural engineer. And my boys I have two boys. They're growing older right now. They are a freshman in high school and a seventh grader. And I'm seeing that the school system tells the kids they've got to go to college. Like that is the message that is coming from the school. There's they're not talking about any other option. And as a structural engineer, I'm in the building industry, and I'm seeing from top to bottom, everybody's after good employees, everybody, and the people are making great money. So you're seeing great career with no pipeline going into it, as far as I can see. Maybe there is this. From what I'm seeing, no one's telling them that this is a great option for them. We have the same dilemma, I guess you could call it over here. They're huge on college, university. Ours are a little different. We've got colleges and university. They're kind of a little different. And they really push that, push that, push that. But I'm a civil engineer like you as well. And I was lucky enough, my university had a co-op work program. So every four months we had school, four months we had to get a job with, you know, any civil engineering, sorry, not civil engineering, but any company that was looking for students, right? And they paid us and everything else. So... For me, I got to go through the process and say, hey, you know, I work for the government on the roads. I got to work in a geotech firm. So I got granted it's on a low level, but you work with superiors and you get to get a a sense and a feel. And one of my co-op terms was with a general contractor. And I'm like, that's for me, man. That's for me. You know, I'm not a computer only person. I'm not a site person only person. I like the healthy mix of both. And I was kind of able to tailor that career path. Like you said, it's one thing getting to college or university. After that, what do you do with that degree is a secondary question as well. No doubt about it. What a great program you guys had. That's genius because that's so crucial to figure out what do you like and what are you good at? And that is the true kernel of Big Skills Tiny Homes is what do you like? What are you good at? And let's be honest, some people aren't great at sitting in an office cube. Some people are great at building, but if people never get that little taste, they never kind of find out that that's something that they're good at. And so it's so important for people to get exposure to a bunch of different things and to find out what hits with them, you know, what's good for them. Completely. And I also find there's always a disconnect between what people think they like 
versus what they actually enjoy doing on a day-to-day basis. We all have these visions with TV and I mean, in our industry, you watch HGTV, they make it, everything sounds so amazing and quick and everything else, right? But once you get through the process, you start realizing certain things actually don't feel like work, but you're getting paid to do it regardless and you enjoy it. (laughs) You know what I mean? So why not try and tailor those skills a little bit more, right? Exactly right. Exactly right. Get a bunch of tastes and see what just hits the palate right. So as part of your epiphany, I guess you could say, obviously the kids coming up and I'm assuming you don't want to limit them just to college and everything else that goes with it. Obviously us growing up, I, you know, I saw your website. Yes, you know, they push. It is important to a certain degree, the theory aspect behind things. But I'm always weighing the cost benefit, but the benefit of work experience versus theoretical experience. How do you see those playing together and how are you trying to incorporate that into big skills, tiny homes? Well, it makes you bring up a really good topic. You know, I went to college. College was a great experience for me. I really enjoyed learning and I really loved the theory. You know, I started as an electrical engineer and then, you know, I didn't believe that electrons really move when you apply voltage. It's like, yeah, I don't know. I didn't buy it. Though I did fine. You know, I did the circuits. I did all that stuff, but I liked civil engineering. When things bend, they break. I love that. You know, big bend, they break. Water flows downhill. I really felt like I understood it at a very visceral level. It spoke to me. And so, you know, that's what I switched. I switched from electrical to civil. I was like, I get this, this, you know, you cut, you know, it's cliche, but you don't know what you don't know until you start trying things, till you get out on the job site and really start doing things. You don't know what's good for you or what you like doing. Just like you said, that thing that you're doing it and you're like, wow, I can't believe I'm getting paid for this. This is work for somebody, but for me, this is a joy and I'm so happy to do it. In big skills, tiny homes, there's not a ton of theory. There's some. I definitely am talking to them about it. I talk about shear walls. I talk about hold downs. I talk about hurricane clips. We're talking about why is this nailing pattern. So I'm talking about it. We're not getting down to the tiny level of this nail will take a shear force of 42 pounds in ASCI or you know LF or FD. We're not doing that, but we are talking about what is a shear force? What is tension? What is compression? Why is this important? But it is more of the experience. It is more of the hands-on doing stuff. But we definitely are talking about why, but not all the way down to that fine granular code level. Well, before we get into like the details and stuff, now big skills, tiny homes, from what I see, it's pretty unique. I mean, like it's actually a not-profit organization, not-for-profit organization. So you're setting this up to actually teach kids or high school students viable potential career paths they can choose with hands-on experience, right? So you're not looking to make money. You're just saying, here's a void. I think it can be really filled and it's really necessary as well. Do you want to share some of your thought process on that side of things? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. This is a, it's a nonprofit. I'm not making any money at all. And anything that's donated to us goes back into teaching people more. I mean, it's exactly it. We're trying to fill this void that almost no one is teaching these skills. People need that opportunity. I've I know that there's people who are great at building and really good at doing this stuff and who really enjoy it and can make a great living at it. And I feel like those people never get that chance. They're sent straight on through. Straight on through and sink or swim. (laughs) Now you've set this up to be a, like a nine month course, 
correct? Like almost like a internship. Exactly right. Exactly right. Kind of our general structure is we work around the school year. So we start in September. We end in May. We build one very high-end tiny house. We work just in the mornings. So the students are often going to community college. They're often working. In the afternoons, we work from 8 a.m. to lunch, Monday through Friday, for the whole school year. And then we're also doing career planning that whole time. We're bringing in guest speakers. We're bringing in plumbers, electricians, general contractors, architects, interior designers, HVAC guys. People are really excited to share their skills and to come in and to talk with us. So we're building. We're having guest speakers. We're also doing career planning activities, which would be things like we do personality tests, talk about the results. What do the personality tests tell us? We talk about what are you enjoying? What would you like to be doing? What are some of the other careers planning stuff? We do all, we talk with each other. Yeah, we talk with each other. Why tiny homes as opposed to, you know, a big standalone or, you know, bungalow style places? Just, it's just easier because there's more thought on how everything kind of fits together. There's more outside the box thinking. Is that part of the reason why? That's certainly part of the reason. We're so excited to get to use recycled materials and small donations go a long way. Somebody's scrap for their floor becomes our entire floor. The tiny house is great because it's small and mobile. So we can do the whole build easily in a year. No problem. We'll finish every single thing and have a beautifully polished finished product in that time frame. So, and they get to try everything except for the concrete foundation, because we're starting, we're on a metal trailer, which allows us to you know, work in one place with our workshop and then away it goes. We send it off to the highest bidder to do it again. So do you guys have to adhere to any building codes or safety standards over there? Because I know that here in Ontario and Canada, it varies by municipality on their zoning. Some say it's building codes, some say it's like safety because it's going to be on the roads. Like, how is it over there? It's totally in a legal gray zone, right? So you're exactly right here. Even here in Marin County, north of San Francisco, there's like 13 municipalities and no one's going to inspect it because it's on a trailer. So we are using an organization called NOAA and they do virtual inspections very much like we are here. You know, they use like a FaceTime type thing and we have inspections. We adhere to the code. The IVC now has a tiny house code. It's now in there. But again, who is going to inspect it? Yeah, you can build it to that, but who's looking at it? So because it's on wheels, nobody local to me will look at it and certify it as being done. So what we're doing is we're using this kind of this third party organization. I, I think they're in Florida and we pay them to essentially, it's not exactly a permitting fee, it's a membership fee, but that's how they do it is they go through different phases of construction with us starting with, of course, the trailer. First is a trailer inspection, then there's a framing inspection, an electrical inspection, a plumbing inspection, and on and on and on. And it's great for the students to see how you handle inspection. The inspector tells you to do something, you just do it. You know, there's no reason to give them a hard time why you think your way is better or this or that. You're just like, oh, the inspector says do this, you just do this. So you don't worry about it. That's also always learned the hard way on site, right? Because we all, all right. the tradesmen always think they know. Uh, not yeah, that this they, is my way, it's the best way. You know what? Most times they do know, but that doesn't mean that another set of eyes on it who are looking after safety doesn't have some sort of question or clarification. Sometimes it could be just a clarification. 
for them to know that you know what you're doing. That's it. Exactly right. And so it's very important to have an inspection. It's important to have a code that you're working on and not just, you know, making stuff up. So I think, uh, but it's a weird gray zone. You know, I've been meeting with the city of San Rafael and the county and talking about how this is going to become rolled into fully legitimized, fully something. And they right now they'll accept Noah as being grandfathered in. It's not official yet, but you know, that's the unofficial word where we're talking. And like you said, it's a gray zone. Every time people come up with new concepts, new ideas, it's always something, you know, I'm really intrigued by it. I mean, the whole point of this kind of podcast is to kind of talk about where we're going, how we're going to get there, how we're preparing now. And, you know, I look at Toronto over here, like we have such a dense population right now. It's land is at a premium, (laughs) right? And especially what we're going through right now with COVID-19, I think it's really asking a lot of people to re-examine really truly what do you actually need as opposed to want, right? Mm. And I do think that your concept of, not your concept, but you know, what you're moving on and trying to teach them this, a lot more people seem to be gravitating to this. I remember a few years ago, HGTV had those, I can't remember what it was called now. They had a few shows about tiny home living and stuff like that and how people are adjusting from a big home to a small home, stuff like that. And I believe it was all the rage back then and now it's kind of subsided. But I think, I mean, I think you're pretty close to San Francisco. I'm sure land is at a massive premium over there as well. No doubt about it. Massive premium, massive premium. And rents are so high, you know, for people to have a tiny house in their backyard that they can rent out can clear you know, thousands of dollars a month, frankly. So people are very interested in being able to make do with less, being able to be some maybe possibly out in the middle of nature off the grid. I mean, there's just a lot of appeal for that to be unaffected by when the grid is down because you're self-sufficient. I mean, there's just a lot of different types of appeal. It's an interesting movement, you know, for me, you know, building this one that we've got, it is gorgeous. I could live in it by myself. It would be tight with my wife. You know, it would be tight. We could do it for vacation. What about the kids? <laughs> like two of them for sure. I'll understand. I've seen it on these HD TV shows. They got a family of four in there. I'm like, come on. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you gotta be kidding me. Yeah, no. I mean, it's it, the one we've got. is just a spectacular studio yeah. apartment, but how big is it? Is this the first one you're working on? It's our first round. This is our first round. It's uh, built on an 18 foot trailer. So it's uh, the rules for being able to move it without a permit in the U.S. are less than eight and a half feet wide, less than 13 foot tall, and then you can move it without a permit. Go ahead. And the trailer sizes are generally 18, 20, 24. And then I, there's even now people are making 30 footers, big long ones. This one we're doing is eight and a half by 18. I noticed on some of the videos, a few of the episodes, you guys go with wood frame construction and stuff. You ever looked at container homes, that style? That's all the rage now too. They're kind of stacking. I love the containers. Yeah, the containers are awesome. So what you get with the container is a great structure and a great waterproof envelope. Mm -hmm. So what you spend all your time doing is trying to properly insulate it so that you don't have massive condensation issues. That is your biggest problem. Water just wants to beat up on the inside. That's right. That's what it wants to do. So instead of spending your time building a structure in a waterproof envelope, you spend your time trying to insulate and prevent condensation. (laughs) So you're skinning the cat a different way. You kind of got to really think about your situation, where you are. I really like the containers. 
we have a container to store our tools and our materials. I'm very grateful for that donation. Somebody was able to donate one that had been a chicken yeah. coop. And so it took a lot of uh, sweat labor to <laughs> remove grease. the chicken, Yeah, right. to remove the chicken from the container. Right. But it's great in terms of they're solid, they're secure, they're waterproof. But just to insulate them properly, you just start losing space on the inside. Everything, everything needs to come in to get away from the metal. There's an international company. I'm trying to remember the name. Always butchered. Hono Mobile. Have you heard of them? So they're in the U.S. No. They've come into Canada as well. So they've got some really, really cool looking containers, but they don't just use once. They use stack one on top of the other kind oh, of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. So you can have Very different cool. levels, different size. And I mean, most of their stuff seems to be more bohemian style. They, I think they've kind of gone more of a prefabricated model. So basically you could just build your foundation and go and like crane it right on, crane the different, and then do the connections. You know, that is very cool. They position themselves pretty well. I like the idea of pre-manufactured homes. I think you save a lot of, of waste when you do things in a warehouse. And I think you can really have high quality and quick. So I think there's a lot in the Bay Area where we are, because land is so strange, almost every house is a custom house. There's very, very few, any kind of prefab, very few, any kind of subdivisions. Cause it's oh, just- Oh, that's all we got here. That's all we, I mean, is, not all we got, I should say. Most of it is flat land, you know, minor grade changes, nothing crazy. Some of the biggest builders, they have prefab facilities, come on, put it on. They just do their footings and then just start popping it on, right? I think it can be a good product if it's done well. It's all about the quality control. Whether you're custom building it or you're building it in the factory, it's all about the quality control at the end of the day, right? Yeah, quality control and craftsmanship, they go hand in hand. So have you been getting a lot of students approaching you guys or how is that like, is it it generating interest? Oh man, the COVID-19's been rough on me because uh, our biggest and best recruitment is going to the high schools and they have career and tech day fairs at the high schools. We go to the high schools, we have a booth, we talk to them, we bring people in and the events were all canceled this year. So now uh, reaching out for students is challenging. Yeah. Plan B. Yeah, exactly. Plan B. So now we're, you know, relying more on social media. We're relying more on emails. We're relying more on the teachers to contact the students on our behalf, which is a bigger ask. It's a bigger ask to find teachers who will be like, okay, I think I know a couple people who might be interested. I'll contact them directly for you. So with this huge upswing of attention and great contacts and all this great momentum that we had building, as you've been seeing the videos that, you know, this from a trailer and sticks to this beautiful tiny house. And then, yeah, we've been locked down and we've been on pause for COVID. So it's been tough, but we've gotten some nibbles and we've gotten one major bite. So we're, um, you know, we're planning to move ahead and start again in September, though we don't have our full allotment of students. Well, the students that you have working on the trailer right now, how have they been? What's their feedback been like? Any challenges you found uh, teaching them? I feel super, super lucky. We've had 100% student retention and the growth and the development has been amazing in terms of watching these guys just learn and girl, learn how to work as a team and increase their level of precision. So like, that's something we talked about from the beginning. Like in the beginning, we're doing rough framing. You need to cut within a 16th of an inch. And we're going to get to cabinetry and you're going to cut within a 64th of an inch 
and you're going to use a razor blade to make your lines. We'll start here. That's where we start, and this is where we end up. You, you know, seeing they're able to do it. I mean, it's really cool to see the growth. Try to think of the major challenges. I mean, I feel we're super lucky. We've had three students this first round. All three have been just amazing. They've been reliable, receptive. You know, I'm not telling them to have to put down their phones. I'm not, you know, it's just been really, really good. Really. Do you see some sort of, I guess, uh, not a light bulb, shall we say, but but a light sparked within them to be like, you know what? Maybe I want to do, you know, finish carpentry or maybe I want to do you know, roofing or maybe or something else. You see that little twinkle, shall we say, in their eye oh, when they're yeah. doing a certain trade as opposed to others. We all know there are things that I prefer to do on site and other things that I'd rather delegate. <laughs> totally. I totally, absolutely. And there are those moments for sure where you, you just see like, uh, yeah, I don't know if I want to say time stops or, t they, you know, that flow state where they just like, they get it. And then there's also those light bulb moments where they're like, I now know, I understand how that works. Like this thing that used to be a mystery to me, this thing I didn't know how to do before. Now I got it. There it is. It's really cool. In terms of overall career arc with this set of students, you know, with this COVID-19, it's very, you know, we're doing the career planning right now. We're doing it. And it's a strange time to do career planning. It's a really strange time. Some people are continuing on with the community college. Some people are thinking about what they can, how they can kind of some people are really entrepreneurial. That's a thing we talk about a lot too. It's like, are you a union or a corporate guy who is, you know, your clock out at five and don't think about it again till tomorrow, but you don't have control over what projects you're doing really. Or are you a big entrepreneur? You want control over everything. You want to pick, set the prices and be totally in charge. Well, you don't get to turn that off at the end of the day. You're going to always be on, but you get the control. And there's a certain amount of security with one, less security. That trade-offs to both, right? Exactly. And so again, we're trying to, what kind of personality are you? You know, the one thing uh, that I noticed that I think that you're also teaching them was the blueprint reading. I feel like it's getting to be more of a lost art with the rise of, you know, technology and people using, you know, whatever program to give, to spit out whatever information they need. And I think looking at that 2D image and visualizing it as a 3D finished product really takes experience. There's nothing else that can really do that except for experience. That's right. Yeah. It, taking, here's the drawing. What is it going to look like? Make it. And then the other way around, they got to design some things. Be like, Think about, you know, they designed the bench between the kitchen and the bed. There was a, a kind of a little design competition. All three had to design something for that space. And then we picked a winner and built it. So that was their homework assignment over a break. You know, because we follow, we follow the school schedule. So we take some, we take a week off for this, a couple weeks off for Christmas. So they, Do you use uh, any softwares or anything out there that you're kind of getting them to use at all to get more familiar? You know, there are so many out there right now, aside from the PDF reader, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there are tons out there. Uh, no, I mean, what we do is at the job site. You know, that's the deal. We're at the job site. So when we're doing design work there, it's pencil and paper. Even for quantity takeoffs, you know, make sure you're getting 5% more of this, but you know what? You have this product, you need 10% of it because of the size or whatever, right? You're totally right. And 
I do a lot of that kind of stuff, you know, behind the scenes. So I am using AutoCAD to draw up my plans. I am, you know, placing the material orders, a lot of them beforehand. Some they're involved with and some they're not involved with. So they got to make sure we just keep the thing rolling and that there's no downtime. It would be great for them to dive in more to that idea of the critical path, the critical schedule path. Like, what do you need to order when? Like, you need to get your door order in, you know, at least three to six months ahead of time. You know, that's a strange thing for people to start to be like, why do my doors take six months? Like, what the heck is that? But you can go down to the store and you see a door on the shelf. You think it's the right. Eh. Yeah, I know it doesn't. Like you said, depending on what it is, it's a 16th of an inch, 64. You know what I mean? It exactly. just depends on what yeah. their, to- yeah. their tolerances to everything, right? Trust me, yeah. I see that too. I, you know, I did a talk at a local college here and it was students that were looking, again, just before this COVID-19, they were looking to break out into the construction world, right? And, you know, I started talking about scheduling and the importance and, you know, the different, if you want to get into construction, really there are three lines that you can get into, right? One is the office site, which is pricing, quantity takeoffs, that kind of stuff. The second is the hybrid, which is the project manager side, a little bit of both, you go on site. But again, like you said, you got to make sure the milestones, the long lead item. And the third one is you can be a site super or a tradesman on a project site which is more, okay, what's happening this week? Because if I, like you said, with the bench, if they mess up on that bench, then the thing beside it isn't going to fit. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting how all of those kind of interlace together and get, you know, come together. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, there is an art to that management. And again, getting good at picking out, we definitely, you know, talk about, how important it is to be clear and as accurate as you possibly can about time and money. You know, make sure everyone is on board for what those things are. Uh, an example we used was ordering uh, some special custom flashing over the wheel wells from a sheet metal shop. And when we went there, it's like, look, we need to be clear with them about the time and the money. Because so often people are super vague. I find that people are afraid to be specific. And I think it's a super important skill to not let the details slide and to know which details you've got to be clear about. So we're like, we need this piece of flashing. We can give you $55 for it and it needs to be ready in less than two weeks. Do we have a deal? And not to be clear about one, but not the other, or just you know, nail down the specifics. Yeah. The old adage in construction is if there was no timeline for construction and no budget, anybody could do it. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Here's another good adage for you. Quality, price, or speed. Pick two. Pick two. That's definitely another one. But here's a question that I'm fascinated with. It. I'm sure you've seen it online everywhere and stuff. Do you think the rise of technology with these 3D printers and stuff, do you think we're going to see that in our lifetime? Do you think it's going to have an impact on us or, you know, I have my thoughts, but I want to hear yours first before I kind of chime in. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I think it's one of those where in places where they are building subdivisions, I don't see any reason why it can't have a huge effect immediately. You know, in, in places here in Marin and in, in other places like this, every single house is custom. 
from top to bottom. And while you could definitely 3D print some components, which would be super useful, you're gonna need craftsmen to go in and to do the repairs and to do the upkeep. So I think when you start looking at a house brand new from the bottom up, yeah, I think it's gonna have a huge effect. I don't think it's gonna have much effect on the repairs and the remodels, other than being, they should be able to do some great components. I would love the idea of being able to print custom hinges, custom doorknobs, the little pieces of hardware. I would just love to be able to do that. See, I think you're right. I think when it comes to something like that, in terms of materials, I think there it could be a very value-added technology out there. But for whatever reason, I'm skeptical that it's going to take hold fully. Construction is such a slow industry to adapt to change. We're oh, yeah. so used to looking at the tried, tested, true versions that, you know, even talking about you know, sustainability or some kind of green building technologies is always a little bit slower to adapt, but auto driving cars, boom, for whatever reason, we are just a little hesitant. I don't know. It's because we're living in these places. We are driving on certain roads, so we they don't want to take that chance. I don't know exactly what it is, but I just feel when it comes to technology, there's always a pause. Yeah, you're totally right. You're totally right. I mean, it's a, it's a classic you know, kind of an old boys club and they've been using concrete, steel and wood and that's what they use. <laughs> that's what they're used to, right? So, uh, yeah, no, it's crazy. So tell me a little bit more about that. the course. So once they're done, is there something like accreditation they can get or is it just really about just teaching them the skills? We give them our own accreditation. They will get a Big Skills Tiny House certified tiny house builder. And uh, they also have earned a scholarship to put towards the career of their choice. And we will continue to be in touch with them for at least four years. So they will be getting the very least an email, if not a phone call from me every month for the next period of time. <laughs> but that's pretty fantastic to have that, that sort of mentorship. Did you have any of that kind of mentorship or is that something you found that you kind of lacked a little bit and you're like, you know what, I want to provide this as people are growing in their careers? Oh, what a cool question. I felt really lucky that, you know, my parents were very open to both whatever I wanted to do, but also were there to give advice. So they were definitely my mentors and they're definitely, you know, on the phone with me in touch with what was going on and possibly you know, some of the best advice I got, you know, my mom told me, you know, if you don't know what you want to do, get an engineering degree because you could get a job after four years, right? I wasn't sure what I wanted to do and I was pushed into college, but it, I was pushed into an engineering degree, which has proven to be employable. Sounds so familiar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my parents too, right? Uh, what are the three careers, yeah. right? Yeah. That are sustainable. Sorry, four. Lawyer, doctor, engineer, priest. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's it. That's it. So the good going. You, going you, you got it, right? And it worked out yeah, well, yeah. right? It did. I would hate to have gotten a degree that would have just gotten me college debt and not a job. I mean, to be honest, you know, my friends in college who didn't have engineering degrees, they went back to school or became teachers without exception. Every single one. Yeah, but I guess that's a broader question too. You know, I had some of my colleagues when I was in university who, you know, they don't do anything 
civil engineering related or structural. Now they're working for banks and, you know, they got their MBA and they switched. You know, sometimes I wonder if it's fair to decide a career path so young. Now, I know that's a broader question, right? That's a big, broad question because maybe you can vote, maybe you can drink. So why can't you choose your career? <laughs> yeah, you're totally right. Super great question. And I tell my students, you don't have to decide what you're going to do forever. You're going to have to decide what you're going to do now. <laughs> you got to pick a starting point. Doing nothing is, in my opinion, unacceptable. You know, can't just float. You got to pick something to do now. And fully know you can change. You can change. You can jog. You can pivot. You can jump to a whole other thing. But you know, pick something that's viable and go after it, and then reassess. Yeah, you know what? I think it's only um, unfortunately it feels like there are too many people out there that it's a job that they go to. It's not necessarily a career. I don't know if that's the best way of saying it. Right, right. And I don't know if that's because of finances or, or, you know, they just got into it and now they feel like you said that they can't go back. But I think now people are coming out more. I mean, look at you all of a sudden now you're looking at big skills, tiny homes. You've done, it's not a full pivot, but it's a little bit of a pivot to kind of get more into this side as opposed to the structural consulting that you've been doing. That's right. Yeah, yeah, totally right. It is a change for me and it has to do with, Another part of this career planning, there's this great Japanese word, I won't even attempt to say it, totally butcher it, but it's the confluence of what you're good at, what you like, what pays, and what is of service to other people. The middle of the Venn diagram where all four overlap, it's kind of like almost the meaning of your life, right? What are you good at? What do you really like doing? What do you get paid to do? And what is of service to other people? Like, you know, that's the sweet spot. And for sure, I, you know, I'm trying to make that up for myself with big skills, tiny homes. Like, this is what I hope I can do. And, and right now I'm not getting paid. <laughs> so I'm going to do another round, very much similar to my first round a four student max building a tiny house in the nine months. You know, my long-term big picture, I really want to be essentially rolled into a larger nonprofit to essentially be acquired by somebody like Habitat for Humanity or another, there's other people out there, somebody who can roll out this idea nationally or globally with something, I can't scale it up. There's just not, it's not my skill set. but this is, this scales so easily. This is instantly scalable where you're creating housing you're creating skilled labor. There's just so many wins that can be tacked onto this. And to find the right large organization with the structure, with that administrative structure to go after the big grants and to roll it off in a whole bunch of places. You know, that's what I'm looking to do. And so what I'm doing now is I'm taking all these, you know, really close notes and documenting what it is. So I know exactly how much personnel you need, how much money you need, what is the timeline you need so that I can turn over in the nonprofit world, they call them programs. They would say, I do this program and I do this pro. Here's a new program for you. Here is a tiny house building program where you create an amazing tiny house and you create some good 
workers. And what do you need to do that in terms of money, time, and people? How do you do that? Here it is. Here's the booklet. You guys can do it now and have them roll it out. So that's where I would like to, that's where I kind of big picture dream. I would love for there to be Habitat for Humanity, a tiny house. Yeah. Honestly, I could see so many um, applications for a concept like this. You know, I, I really do think that tradespeople are so lacking nowadays and you don't even hear it as a course in college. So people, it's not that they're not aware of it. It's just not top of mind. Right. It's not top of mind and it's not what the college counselors or the parents or the teachers are talking about in high school. But it's surprising because it's actually a pretty well-paid role. No, even if you're an electrician, yeah, there are tears just like everything else. But, you know, if you're a good finished carpenter, I know over here, that's something that you can charge. You can command a certain oh, salary. Yeah. Or oh, yeah. if you're an entrepreneur, you can, you know what I mean? People are looking for that quality. No doubt about it. People are making well over six figures, making well over a hundred dollars an hour doing the skilled trades and not talking about it. You know, and sometimes when you talk to high school kids about, you know, the potential of something like this and it's so out there, I know from talking to friends and stuff, you know, people coming out of school right now who are getting into everything to do with internet or computer-based or cloud-based, as they say, more often than not, they're just internships to start out. Mm. <laughs> they're not unpaid internships too. And it takes a long, because again, it's supply and demand, just like anything else. Indeed, indeed. Around here in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, there is a complete shortage of what they call housing stock. There's a housing shortage. We need to build in the neighborhood of, you know, 50 to 100,000 housing units. And it's, yeah. yeah, and it's not happening. They don't have the political will doesn't seem to be there. They're not approving the projects. And even if they were, we do not have the labor to do it. So going through this process, I mean, you're almost towards the end of it. You know, the next couple of months would have been, I'm sure you, you and the students could see that finish line, right? Before all this happened. But can you point to a few of the biggest takeaways, biggest rewards that you personally can say, you know what? Yes. Or you know what? This came up that I wasn't expecting that I, you know what? This is something that I never thought. And this is something that I want to keep sharing. The thing that comes up in my mind first is, you know, those light bulb moments we had talked about earlier is in seeing that, that light bulb go on when a new skill has been fully gelled or a new concept of how things are done. You know, those happen a lot. And gosh, those are great. <laughs> those are so great. And to see the time, luckily, we are way ahead of schedule. So we're going to be able to finish. What? In construction? You're ahead I know, of schedule? I know. What? <laughs> I know. I think I make a plug for the engineers to be in charge. But yeah, we're way ahead of schedule. So we're going to finish. Uh, we're going to work in shifts so we're not all together and finish up the tiny house before May 19th as planned. That's the goal? Yeah. Yeah. May 19th, we had a big event planned and the big event has been canceled, which is sad to not celebrate the students. But we will give uh, each student and their family an individual celebration so they can bring their family. We'll check it out on their own. That's right. Without... That's right. I'll stand on top of the shipping container and so they get to show what they've done. And I think that is the biggest thing is to see this finished, beautiful studio apartment. It's you're like, wow, you know, you guys did this and somebody's going to live in this. 
But the big question, what happens to the container after? Are you going to sell it to try and infuse it into the not-for-profit so you can get more materials, maybe a different style of construction next time? What are you thinking? That's exactly it. We're going to auction it during the month of May on an online auction site. We'll finish it. We'll take a bunch of pictures and we'll try and uh, you know wrap it up with a pretty bow. And unfortunately, people won't be able to go to this big event that's been canceled, but they'll still be able to bid online. And we would certainly do open houses for people who are very serious bidders. We, we would get them in the door to take a look at it. We'll see how it goes. It's a it's new territory. It's a new territory. It's very new territory right now. I think uh, some people are definitely going to be tighter with their money. And I think some people are going to really be excited to be have a finished something done right now. I think there's going to be a huge appeal to that. And I think there's also going to be a lot of appeal for being off the grid, which this can be off the grid very easily. I did have a question about that. In terms of this specific trailer that you're doing, does it have the sanitary connections, hydro connections, or is it like solar and septic tank? Like what, the one that you're building right now? The one we're building right now has been set up very much like an RV. So it is connected with a hose. It is connected to the sewer hookups and the water hookups, very much like an RV. And also with the power, we did everything on 110 so that you could plug it in with just an extension cord. Wow. You know, it's a 50 amp 110. You could run it on a lot less power. So it, it could be plugged in with just a simple extension cord. It doesn't need anything special. A good solar system, the prices are dropping, but it wasn't something I could afford this round, as is. I'm looking for solar sponsorships. At the beginning of the year, a good solar system was about 10 grand. It's come down significantly. It's closer to seven now, which is pretty exciting. So hopefully in the next future builds, we find a good solar sponsor and we would go that direction. Yep. But this one is totally like an RV. So you just pull it up to an RV hookup and you're good to go. That's it. Awesome. Where would people find you if they wanted to auction or to see what you're doing or even students if they wanted to, you know, reach out to you? Where can they find you? Uh, BigSkillsTinyHomes.org. BigSkillsTinyHomes.org. That's the website. Uh, there's different tabs on the top. One of them says students wanted. One of them says help us out. And uh, there's the video blog where you get to see all the little videos, the time-lapse videos of each week's work, which are, which are fun. Fantastic, fantastic. And the auction will be on the website as well, or is that more uh, organic, shall it we say? It will be on the website, and there'll be an email blast and a social media outreach saying, auction is live we plan to do it may 1st to may 30th but it'll be a little later stay tuned yeah it'll be a little bit yeah later. just stay tuned there might be some changes and and see what happens it'll be mid-may through the end of may so <laughs> yeah well awesome sean thank you for coming on it's fantastic to hear about the uh adventures shall we say that you're having with the tiny homes and not just that teaching kids uh I think valuable skills. It's much needed here. If they can't find work down there, your students tell them to come up here. There are tons of jobs here too. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's a total pleasure to be on. Really appreciate what you're doing. Looking forward to hearing your other podcasts. Remember to subscribe and share this episode with any of your friends or colleagues. We are available on all the major platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, among so many others. Coming up, we got Carlo DeLeo from Spotter Security. We talk the evolution of the security industry, 
how small and large construction firms can benefit from this technology. Of course, we'll be definitely talking about the validity of these so-called COVID-19 security systems and also their practical use with their pros and cons. Join us for our next episode.